And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. You already know what it is. It's another episode of Gold Mines. Oh, my God, another exciting episode this will be because I got another exciting, amazing guest. And when I get exciting guests that, that I get to talk to, well, I get excited. My my blood gets to pumping. Why does my blood get to pumping? Because it should. Because these are amazing conversations full of gems. Gems not for me, but gems for you. And oh my God, how many gems will be dropped today? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I can actually call my guest today a, a friend because we have worked together. We have, we have done things together. We have, we have had conversations and he's actually stood the ground of improvisation with the old K-Hart and did a phenomenal job on Real Husbands of Hollywood, a legend. Uh, I want to say probably one of my smartest, my smartest friends. Yeah, I can say that. I can say that on paper. One of the one of the most brilliant and smartest minds that I can say that I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Neil deGrasse Tyson right. to the show. Thank How you. are you, sir? Now, Kevin, I don't know your friend, all your friends, so I don't know mm-hmm. if it's a low bar or a high bar when you say I'm one of your smartest friends. <laughs> also, I just don't know. It's a low bar, Neil. <laughs> Even the way that you vetted it out that fast. You see how you instantly thought about, well, who who is Kevin hanging around I, I that, you know, that he says I'm the smartest? Like, who, I'm quite sure he's got some other brilliant minds. No, I don't. No. It's just you. It's just you. All right? It's you. And my, and my little, it was a little cameo on, on House Husbands. I, I enjoyed it immensely. But it was not a big role. I mean, I was. You know. What are you talking about? It was a great role. You know, it was it was you. It was any anytime we can get like a a guest, right? On a real husband of Hollywood. The thing was, how do we get people and put the people that we get in the element of like craziness, yeah. but have them be the grounded versions of themselves. <laughs> like that's where, that's where the jokes come that, in. So, that's, you know, talking to the, exactly to the right. scientists, the I had scientists. To, I had to read you this, the space riot act because you had no <laughs> idea. You have what you want some trip into space. And I had to like bitch slap you to get you straight. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, for for those that may not be aware of Neil and um, his, I want to say his world of success, I can give you a little bit of it, man. Um, Neil was a recipient of the Nassau Distinguished Public Service Medal, right? Oh. He's also a New York Times uh, bestseller. That's a big deal. Host of uh, Star Talk Radio, which is doing really well. Um, these are just things that he has and that he has had. Now, Neil is a scientist, you know, I have a tremendous respect for anybody that finds new levels of success um, in in a space that I feel is never ending. It's like the 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 world of science is never ending because that would mean that the discoveries are are all uh, we 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 found them all. We got it all, and and that's not the case, right? It's it's always a search and always a want for more. Um, for you, I think my my first question is like, why why science? What was it that that first piqued your interest? Like like, how old were you? This is Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now more from Kevin Hart on Gold Mines. So I didn't think about it that explicitly. I was just a kid. Like any kid, you know, you're curious. That's what it means to be a kid. All mm-hmm. right. That's why once kids have visited somebody else's home or visited anywhere, the place is a mess when they're done. We think of it as they're just making a mess, but they're actually doing experiments, okay? What happens if I tip over the glass? What happens if I pull this off the shelf? What happens if I... And this th- these are acts of exploration that are often denied children growing up by parents who want to maintain a neat household. So uh, I had a level of curiosity very early just about the world. But a first visit to New York City's Hayden Planetarium, my local planetarium, then I was starstruck. I was nine okay. years old. And I think the universe chose me, if I can speak semi-spiritually that way. And because I was, by the time I was 11, then I knew there was, there was a title I could have as a grown-up, astrophysicist. So I had an answer to that freaking annoying question that parents always ask kids, which is, of course, what do you want to be when you grow up? From age 11 onward, I said astrophysicist. And the funny part is, if you say doctor or engineer or whatever, somebody always knows this Aunt Matilda who was a doctor or a lawyer. No one knew any astrophysicists. So, So that comment was often just simply met with silence. What from your from your family, you know, like your, the the mom and dad of it all. Was there ever a high level of interest in in science from your parents? No, no, no. They neither of them did science. Uh, my really? mother was by prior arrangement upon marriage back in the early fifties. She was a housewife after high school, and they agreed that on upon empty nest she would go back to college, which she did got a degree in gerontology, went on for a master's degree, was, you know, the study of old people, and ended up working for the feds, administering programs to nursing homes, health programs, and well-being, um, programs of, of well-being for the mental and physical health of the aging. My father was active in the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. That's how old I am. He was active in the civil <laughs> rights movement. Um, in New York City, he worked under Mayor Lindsay, during the 1960s. And here's something, you know, the press doesn't write about events that don't happen, right? Okay. In the the 1960s, there were major riots in Watts in Los Angeles and in, you know, in Detroit. And there were these major cities where they had some of the largest ghettos in the country Mm -hmm. in response to the assassination of Martin Luther King, the helplessness of what it is to be jobless in the inner city, in America, New York City, while there were small skirmishes um, in and out, there was no major riot. And New York City, the largest inner city ghetto in the country, there was no riot. My father was active in, uh, he was a commissioner under the mayor 
head of the what's called the Manpower and Career Development Agency. And so what would that do? That gives you some hope. I'm a teenager. I just graduate high school. If I'm not going to college or no matter what I do, there's some hope. Because what is a riot if not the last desperate act of hopelessness? Mm. That's what a riot is. But mm-hmm. if you have hope, you say, oh, I might have a job. There's a program. The city cares about me. I've got yeah. it. And so all of that was going on in the 1960s. And so, so, that, 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 so my parents were that. And so, yeah, I'm their kid, the astrophysicist. So I can say without hesitation that their outlook grounded me in, in a good way. No, no, you're grounded. No, that's the bad way. I mean, grounded me in, a, in an awareness of the human condition. So that while my head was in the stars, my feet were still planted on earth. What, what about your entry into the space, right? You know, like... Um... I, I would love to say that, you know, during, of course, your your time period, you're talking about the 1960s, 1970s, and the 1980s, right? Um, you know, for a black man being in this space, uh, was that something that was few, far, and in between? Like, what was, what was the position and stance for you as a black man? Yeah, so it was the path of most resistance. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm there in, in, in high school, uh, you know, in middle school and in high school. And again, these interests were manifest early, right? So I, I, I walked dogs. I lived in a big apartment building and many people just too lazy to walk their own damn dog. But that mm-hmm. was fine for me. 50 cents per dog per walk. That adds up quickly. I ended up buying a telescope, a camera, bought a dark room. I'm doing all of these things, Okay. And I get to school and I show a little bit of athletic talent. And people say, oh, you should be an athlete. <laughs> All right. Meanwhile, the fact that I own a telescope, I'm producing my own photography. Back then, there was a big ordeal to how to make photos. Um, the fact that I was doing it was irrelevant. They didn't even see it. It, was not, it did not fulfill their expectations of what or who I should be. And by mm-hmm. the time I was 20-something, and I, oh, by the way, I also could dance. I was a performing member of three different dance companies. Okay. College, not the Bolshoi, okay? College troops. But nonetheless, by the time I was 22 or something, I said to myself, did I do athletics and did I dance because that's more what society expected of me than anything I ever really cared about? Mm. And I started Mm. reflecting on the, the normalization of people's expectations of who and what you can be when you grow up. Because everyone says, oh, we can help you. Um, we can g- give you a ride home if you stay after and join this athletic team or that athletic team, or you can do, do this. Oh, dance for us. You know, all of this. <laughs> I think to myself, no, no, I want to be an astrophysicist. And so that's, <laughs> so, so one clip, I think there's just one Maybe one and a half clips of me online dancing. Dancing, I okay. Snuck it in a Christmas party, a holiday party at my at my and and I'm not giving anybody any other videos of dancing because it, oh, it's a black man dancing. There you go. I'm not being that for you. Okay. To quote James Baldwin, I am not your Negro. Okay. I got you. There it is. I got you. Yeah. 
So that injury, okay, that injury. I mean, listen, to to find success, of course, is is something that is uh, it's always a patient journey. Um, give me the first big piece of success. What was your first breakthrough in the space of science? Oh, uh, yeah. so in high school, um, I remembered I I remember the feeling, okay, where I'm applying to. I went to a geeky high school, the Bronx High School of Science, public school, by the way. Mm-hmm. You have to take a test to get into it. Um, that school counts eight Nobel laureates among its okay. graduates, which is as many as the country of Spain, by the way. So this that's an extraordinary fact. Um, it's just to gather people who liked to learn and who okay. teach each other, okay, uh, on the downtime. Because ask yourself, in high school, what are you doing in your downtime? You know, during study hall, are you actually studying between classes? Are you gossiping on the walk? I was chasing home? girls. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I was chasing. I was chasing girls in high school. My okay. downtime oh. was spent chasing oh. women around high school. All right. So Perv- the the what's it called? Was it what's it called when you puberty? Puberty. Oh, hit oh, you puberty. Hard. <laughs> yeah, when puberty puberty hits you hard, you don't know you don't know what else to do. So I don't know what else to do. I had a stable girlfriend relationship throughout high school. So these distractions were not there for me. Well, lucky you, tall man. It wasn't the case for me. All right. I was was overlooked, Neil. I was overlooked. (laughs) It was a bad situation for old K Hart. I just felt I felt down. I was sad in my <laughs> early days of high school. So it was a bunch of what you doing? <laughs> when, hey, you. What about me? I want to go to the dance. Yeah, that's, that was my downtime. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but but it is it, the way you put it. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I get uh, it. I get it. Um, hurtful. I can it's tell hurtful. you this. I'll tell you this. In my high school, which was like geek central, um, mm-hmm. since I was pretty physically fit. All right. I was captain of my high school's wrestling team and undefeated. So I felt okay. a certain sort of confidence, you know, just walking down the street. I had, a, you know, as, as a lot of kids do, they imagine um, what if they were a superhero, what kind of a superhero they might be. I, I imagined I'd be defender of the geeks. Right. Okay. And so if there's some geek person who's getting slammed into the lockers by a, the football quarterback. All right. That, that you'd send up this this bat signal it could be a geek signal like digits of pi or something and the more digits the more serious the infraction was and i would fly there land and just kick some ass and releasing the the geek from the, the from harm's way so so if i were in the high school with you and i saw people getting on your case i i'd be your defender for sure well thank you i mean honestly i wish you were around back then not that oh. i needed a defender but the thought of having one would have had me handle some more of these uh some more of these debates and arguments that i got in back in the situations day. situations yes i would have handled it differently <laughs> you know it's crazy because when i when i think about science right and just tell me tell me if i'm right here with the with the way well, well, let me finish you said what what achievements there's one yeah, so early one. It's, it'll be fast but that's my whole lead what do you in. mean it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be fast like okay no, take no. your time so it's a podcast so man. i'd apply to a bunch of colleges but seven mm-hmm. i think it was and back then maybe still today i haven't kept up they they would send you a notice in the mail that would assess whether you were unlikely it was possible or likely that you'd gain admission into okay. the school in the final round. So this would help you sort of plan a little more realistically if you were overshooting or even undershooting. 
Okay. Okay. So I got it. I went down to get the mail and I got an envelope from MIT. Okay. Okay. And I said, Ooh, and I held it up to the light and there it was circled likely. And it was like, well, okay, nothing else matters. Okay. <laughs> this is good. Okay. No matter what, I got this. Okay. And um, MIT, the, the number one major there was, was physics. Uh, I didn't go to MIT, but I okay. knew that my options were genuine and real and could continue to fulfill my dream. My next one was getting my PhD in astrophysics at Columbia University. And I was asked by the dean to give the address, the convocation address at graduation. And so okay. that's actually online, that address, um, convocation address. It's on my website. But in that, um, I, I celebrate having achieved in the face of a lifetime of naysayers, in the face of a world that sees me not as an astrophysicist, but as a criminal, as a, a, as a juvenile delinquent, as all the things that stereotypes can, all the stereotypes that can be heaped upon somebody, that was the path of most resistance. That I, okay. had, I needed a fuel tank of energy to overcome every time that happened. You realize okay. I, I, used to, I used to collect because I, I didn't have money, but I, I valued complicated timekeeping devices. Like I had a watch that had three different dials on it, a stopwatch, and before digital era, because that's how old I am. Um, and at one point, and I remember saving money for it. I got it at Macy's. I think it cost me like $50. And back then that was a lot of money. And then the, the sweet second hand, the thing that keeps track of the seconds, whoever doesn't know that <laughs> in the modern era, that fell off the dial. And so I took it to a jeweler you know, a, a, a repair shop. And I, and I went, how old am I? 18? Black man, 18. But I don't see myself as a black man. I'm just geek astro person. Okay. Mm -hmm. so I go in and I hand them the watch and the, I said, I need this fixed. And they said, I can't touch this watch. And I said, oh, why? Is it because it's stolen. And this show how naive I was. And I was thinking to myself, wow, why would Macy's sell me a stolen watch? <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's, wow. That's how pure of thought I was at the wow. time. And later I'd realize, oh my gosh, I'm a black man with a big fancy watch who couldn't possibly have bought it or cared about it or owned it himself. He must have stolen it. And the yeah. jeweler doesn't want to be in possession of stolen property. That's the kind of stuff. Now, by the way, the jeweler didn't stand between me and my goals. They're, 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 like today, I we have a word for it. What's it called? Um, microaggressions. Okay. Um, but I had, I had a ready fuel tank to overcome them all. The taxi that's not picking you up when I'm south of Harlem and I've got to go north. That happened because Columbia is up in northern Manhattan. Okay. And I'd be in Midtown. I get a taxi and I want to go north. Uh, taxis wouldn't pick me up. One out of five taxis would pick me up. Then over the years, it was one out of three. Um, and then one out of two. Mm -hmm. Now it's four out of five. So things are objectively better over the decades, I can tell you. And plus, my stories don't compare to the stories my parents told me. I'm sure that you could probably um, uh, have similar uh, tracking of storytelling that through the 
ancestors down through the present. But anyhow, so the people- All my dad's stories had crack in them. <laughs> no. yeah. Yeah. All my dad's stories had crack and cocaine in them, Neil. And I think they were two different types of stories. It wasn't, wasn't was, butt crack, butt crack. Yeah, was, was a different, <laughs> want any of that. different types of stories were being told from my parents. I, so I'd say my speech and the achieving the PhD in the face of the adversarial uh, relationship with society for me, was my single greatest achievement. And after that, everything is just gravy. The books, mm. the honorary degrees, you know, TV, uh, other publications. To me, that was gravy on okay. the achievement that I, uh, I acquired at the point of the PhD. So, you know, when, when I think about science, though, right? Like, am I wrong in this, in this statement? Like, I want to I try to simplify the craziness attached to science um, the want and search for discovery. Um, isn't there, isn't the big K in science finding the thing that is like an example of life outside of the world we know? Like what's the, what is the search for? Like I know a lot of people are sp they're spending big money, big money to find out if there is life outside of earth and on these other planets or you know up in space if it's some other shit going on what is the amount of money that you think that you think will be given in return if somebody comes out and they go we got the alien we found the alien we we were searching in science our, our scientific proof shows that said thing is here here's an example of it what's the number attached to that well i don't think of it in terms of money although one probably could uh, i would think of it in terms of how far that would advance the our our state of science at that time so first of all it would advance biology hugely mm -hmm. compared to physics Okay, because physics, we can talk about the physics of life and apply that to life anywhere in the universe. So if life shows up, it will be following the laws of physics that we have discovered in the universe. But the quote laws of biology are very earth centric, right? On earth, you know, life as we know it requires liquid water and it has carbon and we have a DNA molecule and all life has some shared DNA. So the biologists, as much as a biologist will celebrate the diversity of life on Earth, at the end of the day and behind closed doors, they, they have to confess to each other that they have an example of one mm -hmm. Earth life. If life from somewhere else shows up, oh my God, how does it encode identity? Does it have DNA? Does it use something else we haven't thought of yet? Is the biochemistry the same or different? How does it communicate? Does it communicate? Does it have to communicate? Has it discovered things about the universe that we haven't discovered yet? Can we learn from them? Can they learn from us? Probably it is we who can learn from them because if they journeyed here, we haven't been beyond the moon since 1972. So if they cross the galaxy to get here, they are, they're definitely smarter and more technologically advanced. We'd have something to learn from them. So I can't put a money on it, but I can put our enlightenment on it and say it would be, probably be the single greatest discovery in the history of science. Which has to come with some money. <laughs> He's trying to okay. 
It's got to come with some money. The movie rights. The movie rights to the alien story. There you go. Something. The only reason why I say that is because there's so much money being invested into the search. So you can't just throw all that money away. There has to be a return. Still, still, let's be clear. NASA's budget is is less than what you think it is. I've Mm -hmm. asked people because they see the space station and we're going back to the moon and the photos from the James Webb and all these NASA centers across the country. And I asked them, how much money do you think NASA is getting out of your tax dollar? And they say, oh, 5%, 10%. I say, no, no, it's four-tenths of 1% of your tax dollar. And so if you cut, you take scissors, take your dollar, take scissors and cut off four-tenths of 1% of its width, you don't even get into the paint. That's how much money is paying for all that. So- NASA. What do you think? What do you think NASA's budget is for a year? If you had to guess, I, mean, I know what it is. What do you mean? What I think? I'm like, oh, what, shit. That's <laughs> right, Neil. That's right. What am I talking about? There's a NASA. You're a recipient of a NASA Distinguished <laughs> Public Service Medal. Of course, you fucking know. Give me the juice, Neil. What's NASA's budget for the year? How much are they spending over there, Neil? We're getting a, a just under. Uh, I don't know the latest one, but just under thirty billion dollars a year. $30 billion. Yeah, that's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money on a $6 trillion budget. Okay? Jesus, what do you mean, Neil? $30 billion to build a spaceship to blow up halfway? Holy <laughs> shit. Oh, 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 by the way, it's stuff that blows up. Oh, by the way, a lot of the stuff you saw blowing up was like the private enterprise experimenting. But okay. let me comment about ships that blew up. Okay? okay. I, I, a mentor of mine, when I was postdocing at Princeton... His name is Martin Schwarzschild. He said, the day you stop making mistakes is the day you are certain you are no longer on the frontier. So, yeah, a rocket will blow up. If you're trying to build a rocket that's done something that's never been done before, yeah, there's going to be some mistakes. You just don't want to make the same mistake twice. That's all. But the fact that you make a mistake in your life, uh, I think, by the way, our society does not accommodate this the way it should be, the way we do in the sciences, okay? There's no penalty for being wrong in science. You just don't want to be wrong in the same way twice. But being wrong meant you tested something that no one had tested before. Go back to Icarus, who tried to fly to the sun, and he built wings of wax and he okay. got too close to the sun and the wings melted and he fell back into the sea. You could say, what an idiot. No, when you try it now, you'll say, I'm going to build wings, but I'm not going to make them out of wax. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so you start now he died doing it. You don't, you want to survive your own experiment, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the first aeronauts, uh, oh, by the way, I wrote about this with a co-author in a, in a recent book called um, To Infinity and Beyond. Uh, just came out like a few months ago, which tracks the human quest to ascend from Earth, not only physically, but intellectually, into the air, into space, to the moon, Mars, and beyond. 
And of course, the farthest reaches we've gone are not with our bodies, but with our machines and with our ideas. So it tracks this. So the first aeronauts, first people it were, when we learned that balloon, you can make a balloon that'll float and carry you, then somebody, we have to figure that out, okay? The first aeronauts was a sheep, a duck, and a chicken. Mm. The dudes who did it said, we're not going to test ourselves in this. We don't know what's going to happen. And I, feel, no, I hope not. I, I feel bad for the sheep, though, because <laughs> when something goes wrong, there's no hope of the sheep landing smoothly. Um, <laughs> but the duck and the chicken, sure. <laughs> where, where, when you when you say that, right, and it's, and it's great. I love these stories, by the way, because it's. I have so many questions. I'm just going to tell you before I start asking them, Neil. These are ground level questions, right? So, my ground level, I want I want you to understand. This is the shit in my head that I think about when I'm just thinking about science. Now, we got to talking about that other shit that might be up there, right? And you got to say, oh my god, if it is discovered, well, how does it act? What does it breathe? Do we need it? Can we learn from it? Can yes, from us? Yes, right. Yes. You went down a wheelhouse of questions. Now, when you started saying that, Neil, I'm not going to lie to you. It made me say to myself, Neil knows if something's up there. Is it? Is it some shit up there or not, Neil? Okay. Do y'all? I'm, I'm not authorized to comment further. We have to end this interview now. <laughs> is there? Is there some shit up there or not? Do Do you feel like Neil? Is it some shit up there with arms and legs that's walking or not? Okay, like if I, I want to start with that question. Yeah, I want to start right there, Neil. Is it some shit up there? All right. Has your research or research that's been given to you or provided to you, has it positioned you to have a strong belief that there is another life up there? More gold mines with Kevin Hart after this. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit, credit to the people. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons. All handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.
Now back to Gold Mines with host Kevin Hart. So if I say no, you would say, that's just what you'd be expected to say if you knew it was- No, I'm gonna say bullshit, Neil. This is gold mines. Cut the shit, Neil, you know me. We're friends, talk to me. Give me the real, right, Neil. Here it is. Here, here's the best way I can answer that, all right? Um, yeah, we're looking. We've been looking for 60 years when yeah. we first sent signals to space. Actually, we, we've inadvertently sent signals ever since the dawn of radio and television, the, our, those signals have been leaking out of Earth, traveling at the speed of light. We talk about our radio bubble. That's the, the, di- the, the radius of out, over which our signals have washed through the universe. And so the first civilizations to hear us, to know anything about our culture, the, what will it be? It'll be like the earliest... Uh, Things that we created, like the Howdy Doody show, or <laughs> you know, or uh, Ralph Cramden and the Honeymooners, right? Okay. That's how they learn how people interact with each other, or th- those will be the first signals that they would receive. And so, okay. so this is, and in fact, in the film Contact, based on the novel by Carl Sagan, there's a civilization that first saw that a Hitler um, rally. I was it in the Berlin Stadium. And said, oh, this is their culture. Let's send that back to them so that we know, because they'll know how to interpret that. If we speak to them in our alien language, they won't know what we're saying. Well, let's beam that back to them. And that's what they did. They went here freaked out because they thought they were Nazis in space. Okay. In, in the storytelling. Point is, yes, we've done that. I, we've sent signals. We haven't gotten a reply. But here's what's interesting. If they have visited it would be really odd if they visited only the astrophysicists or U.S. government installations. Mm. There are six billion smartphones in the world today, each capable of obtaining high-resolution images and video. Not only that, one million people at any given moment are airborne in an airplane with a window. Where they could look out the window. Not only that, we have Google satellite images of Earth's surface all over. So if a mothership came, somebody's going to notice that. We have crowdsourced any alien invasion that could possibly be. And you know people would put it on the internet. Cat videos go viral on the internet. For less stuff goes viral than what that would be if that actually happened. Well, well ask yourself. Well, is, and how come, you know, by the way, in the 70s, there was a big, and 60s, 1960s, there was a, a lot of reports of people getting abducted, okay? And they'd come back and, and under hypnosis, they'd report on what the aliens would probe their gonads or whatever. And, and now that we have pocket camera, back then nobody had, you didn't walk around with a camera back then, unless you mm-hmm. want to mention, everybody's got a camera now. Do you know what happened to those abduction stories? They all went away. Nobody has any evidence of that happening. Where, well, where I mean, you got a couple things. There's like, you know, some pilots that thought they saw what we refer to as the UFOs or, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, the, you know like, what, is, what does the U stand for in UFO? Unidentified. I'm not yeah, saying there isn't stuff in the sky. We don't know what it is. But the to say you don't know what it is, is not the same thing as saying 
you know what it is. Okay. Yes. You can't say, yes. I don't know what this is. Therefore, it's an intelligent alien visiting from outer space. There is no therefore. There's a period at the end of, I don't know what I'm looking at. Yes. Let's investigate it further. And that's yes. what these hearings have been. Yes. In fact, well, how much are we giving the military? Nearly a trillion dollars a year? Somebody in the military should be checking out the stuff that we can't otherwise identify. And, and if it's a security risk, check it out. And yes, do keep it a secret from me. Okay, but if it's just to military pilots and government installations, what I'm saying is it would be odd if aliens only wanted to visit government installations. That's all. Who who is it that's coming up with the names, Neil? Like when you say mothership, right? Okay, this wasn't George. This wasn't the funk George oh, Funk. What was his name? This wasn't he didn't George Clinton. George Clinton. George Clinton. Oh, eighty-one years. Ago. Yes, he didn't. Eighty-one years of him. Yeah. The the name, the mothership, or he didn't create the term alien. Who is coming up with the names? I I don't know. Although there is, you know about this whole movement called Afrofuturism. All right. Okay. It's a it's an it's a cultural art. I, I have heard about this actually. movement where, uh, you know, people from the African diaspora have mm-hmm. created cultural iconography, storytelling of what it is to be in space. And I think the reason why is all previous science fiction stories that showed a future. They never in the movies, they never included black people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's like, OK, what? <laughs> What is your yeah. plan for the black people back on Earth? Yeah, we never, we never made it up that far. We never. And this was never uh, Michelle Nichols' big point about being on Star Trek, how she, as the first uh, lieutenant on uh, lieutenant, yeah, lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, a Nubian black black woman, African in in that character, uh, was on the deck. In fact, as a lieutenant, she's in the su- succession plan to be captain of the ship, although I don't think she ever was. But anyhow, that was in 1966, whenever that was. That Oh my gosh, talk about forward thinking. But anyhow, and so I don't know who came up with the aliens' names. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. Well, that's that. See, I told you, I said these, I said my questions are more along the lines of like, it's it's the simple it's the simple things that I'm curious about. So when you tell me I get to talk to like a scientist or I get to talk to somebody that is one of the leading leading minds in astrophysics, all right, well, I, I got a lot of shit, man. And these questions, <laughs> and then, these questions, release, these questions are just ground. Release ground floor. them to me. Yes, I'm so, here. I'm here for you, Kevin. So right now, you know, when we get to talking about, let's just let's just keep it uh, in the space of where we are, right? Another thing that I was thinking about, as we know, we know about all of the other planets. We know that they exist. We know that they're there, right? Um, but there's always been the search and desire to go, and there's been the the want to go walk on the moon, right? And after walking on the moon, it was about Mars, right? Um, what's the what's the deal with the other planets? Right, like what's the? Oh, okay, no, no, good, very good question. So it turns out the closest planet to Earth is not Mars; it's Venus. Okay, and Venus has about approximately the same gravity that Earth does. So you'd think, and it's been called our sister planet because it's named for a female Roman god. So you'd say, well, why don't we go to Venus? Yeah. Okay, Venus has a scorching greenhouse effect. Mm. It's 900 degrees Fahrenheit. 
on Venus. And I did wow. a calculation. You could take a 16-inch pepperoni pizza, put it on the windowsill, and it would cook in four seconds. Wow. You would also vaporize, but I'm just saying, holding yeah. that detail aside, you could cook a pizza in four seconds. That's how hot the surface of Venus from a runaway greenhouse effect. Also, the atmosphere is so dense that it's 100 times the pressure of Earth's atmosphere. So if you're in a pressurized capsule and you step outside, you're flattened like somebody just stepped on an empty can of soda. So wow. uh, yeah, you don't want to go to Venus. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, give me another one. Uh, no, no, okay, uh, beyond, uh, so Mars is a, Mars rotates once in 24 hours-ish. It's tipped on its axis, which means it has seasons. It has polar ice caps. So, and we think it once had liquid running water on its surface. There's evidence of, of dried riverbeds uh, and river deltas. A lot of the geological features, the topographical features you find on, on land here on Earth carved by water, we see corresponding features on Mars. So Mars has been the object of our affection for more than 100 years for that okay. reason and more. Beyond Mars, there's the asteroid belt. All right. Asteroids are not we're, not, we're not thinking of putting people on asteroids. Um, but <laughs> beyond that, we have a Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, which are big and gaseous. There's no surface on which to land. But they have moons. So Jupiter has, I've lost count, many, many moons, I think over 100 moons now uh, of all varying sizes, but they have four big ones um, Ganymede, Europa, Io, Callista. Callisto. Oh, oh, you want to know about where names come from? So those names are Greek characters, mythological Greek characters in the life of Zeus. And Zeus is the Greek counterpart of Jupiter after whom the planet is named. So, that, so it's an homage to the Roman uh, traditions as well as to the Greek traditions. Uh, so the, the moons are named for Greek gods in the life of the Greek counterpart to the Roman god. And there's one exception to that, which is Uranus, and its moons are named for uh, fictional characters in, sh in Shakespearean and otherwise British literature. And that happened because a Brit discovered Neptune. Mm. A, a Brit discovered Uranus. And, and no one had discovered a planet before. And, he, and so he named this at 1750s, something like that. So he named it after his benefactor which was King George. This is the same King George of the Declaration of Independence, right? Okay. Okay. And so for a while there, in the books, and I have books from this period, it was Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and George. <laughs> Those were the planets in order from the sun. And then clearer heads would prevail. We found a Roman god to name it after, Uranus. And but to <laughs> appease the British, who were hugely powerful and influential, we said, all right, we'll throw you a bone. So those are the only exceptions. And that's how those get, get named. That's pretty damn interesting, man. And I and I hope the listeners are I hope the listeners have an idea um for how like deep that is. You know, when you get to talking about science, there's so many layers and levels to it. And the deeper that you wanna get, you actually can get. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's it's never ending, actually. It's never ending. In both directions to the small and to the large. So it's you, start, never... you started this conversation by asking, does it end? Can it end? Will it end? 
And it doesn't look like it. Everything new thing we discover, we, we're standing in a new place and can see farther than we had seen before, opening up new questions. Because I've been asked by people, what one question do you want to see answered in your lifetime before you die? And I say, that's not how I think about it. Uh, I want to know the question that I don't yet know to ask. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that's pretty damn deep, Neil. I no. want to know the question that I don't yet know to ask. Correct. Because that would be evidence that I'm in a new place that I cannot yet foresee. Wow. Where I'd be asking a different set of questions than what matter to me right now. Are you in a poetry, Neil? I, I like poetry. I like, I like observing and dabbling in the attempt to communicate the world through different lenses. That's how I think you, poetry and art. You know what you... Art as well. You, you come off, you like art as well? Yes. Uh, some of your favorite artists. Oh, well, I'd, so I, I, my favorite painting is uh, duh, the, Star, the Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. And <laughs> what I like about it, it's very swirly and very, you know, in the moment of whatever he's thinking and feeling. And I'd say to myself, it's not, oh, by the way, I can hold that up. Uh, there's my, my, the back of my phone here. It's amazing. The, the, the detail of the painting. For it's those amazing. who are watching this instead of listening, but but I, uh, what I like about that painting is that's clearly not what he saw because the sky doesn't look like that. Not in that, not the way he drew it. It's not what he saw, but it's certainly what he felt. And I I, I want to feel the world the way other people see it and feel it. That will enrich my life and connect me more closely to the totality of the senses that take in the, the physical, uh, the, the natural and physical world around us. And I think I'm, I feel more alive when I do that. You know, John, you seem like an amazing middle at the dinner party. Larry oh. David did an episode <laughs> of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I did see that. Of, I did see it's that. It's one of the funniest <laughs> episodes ever. And it's about when you go to a dinner, you're eating dinner with friends, you know, sitting in the middle, well, a rectangular a table, a rectangular table. Yes, of a, of, a, of a rectangular table. If you sit in the middle, you're responsible for carrying the conversation, or or you know, segueing a conversation, yeah. keeping people involved. Yeah. And Larry was explaining. He was like, "I don't want to go because I'm gonna have to be the middle, and I don't feel like being the middle." And they were like, "No, you're a great middle. No, no, I am a great middle." But it, it's such a good episode to my listeners. You have to watch it, but. Neil, you seem like a great middle at a, at a dinner conversation because the things that you're saying, um, they're, they're so, they're so good and yet so intriguing to like the question of more, like when you're talking about how your mind works, uh, what excites you? Like you're a thinker, you're, you're an acceleration or an, or an accelerated thinker. Like you like the thought that leads to the next thought that leads to the thought after, um, in talking to people, do you find yourself do you find yourself uh, at times like like putting people in a position to go ah oh my god yeah like what what do the conversations lead after talking to you? Well, what is the reaction I mean, that you get? I wear an educator hat, right? That's mm -hmm. a big part of what I am as a person and what I do professionally. So I almost feel obligated. You don't necessarily feel this in conversation with me, but I feel obligated 
to share some some bit of information, not just a factoid that sits by itself, but some bit of insight into how the world works so that when you walk away, you see the world differently than mm-hmm. what you did before you walked into that room. And so that's an objective. But you know, I have an even bigger objective. It's I want to know the expertise of others. Uh, there's a, one of Bill Nye's famous quotes. He said, everyone in the world knows something that you don't. I like it. Okay. So I like it. if I'm in a competition and someone has, has some expertise in whatever, I'm all up in it. I want to know. Oh, it's an expert in <laughs> printing, in, in origami, in, in, in hostage negotiations, in whatever it is. I'm, I'm going to be talking to you because I wanted to learn about, and people, and, and, and by the way, when I do learn a lot from talking to someone, and then I talk to somebody else, they say, oh, are you a specialist in this? I say, no, I just talk to people who were. <laughs> and I remain curious like a little kid. And so my first goal is to learn as much as I can from others. But you're right. If, if you got to carry the middle seat in, in the table, yeah, I, I think I can do that. I can totally do that. It's a it's a thousand percent the thing to like to thing the thing to understand. The older you get when you go to these dinners and you're you're with a good group of people and the conversations get to flying. It's the best to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a good middle. I'm not a good middle at a dinner table. I'm a good lad. Which might be the secret. There's an old saying, which is a little a little obnoxious, but it it it, it, it makes you think. Okay, they say. Uh, little minds talk about things. No, but what is it? Uh, uh, no, how's it go? No, here it is. Great minds talk about ideas. Intermediate minds talk about things. Small minds talk about other people. <laughs> ah. ah, it's very true. I think that sounds better. Let me say it again the way it should be heard. So um, great people talk about ideas. Uh, average people talk about things. Little people talk about other people. That's how. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it and I received it and I get it, you know, <laughs> because when you don't, when you don't have the mindset uh, and want for like real information or valuable information. Sometimes gossip provides the fulfillment. Well, uh, it's always there, and it, it's yeah, there all always. The time. Yeah, always. Uh, so, Neil, you got kids? Oh, but where does it go? You know, you have the gossip, and then okay, you gossiped it, and now it's it's kind of done, right? Then you just have to find somebody else to gossip about. So gossip becomes the entire means of operation, and and I don't mind that, but I'm saying. If that's all anybody ever did in society, there'd be no advance. So civilization would not advance. So, uh, I value always putting a force on the advance of civilization so that we can live longer, live happier, um, have more free time. And not everyone gets to benefit in that, but more people have that than ever before. Uh, you got kids, Neil? Yes. Yes. How many kids? So, uh, uh, 20, oh, two kids, two, uh, 20, as of a few days ago, yeah, 24 and mm-hmm. 27. Yeah. 24 and 27. Yeah. And what is their, what is their interest so, in science? So, so 
my wife, by the way, who I met in graduate school, um, has a PhD in mathematical physics. So wow. you know our kids were going to grow up scientifically literate. But mm -hmm. at no time did we put pressure on them to be scientists, right? Okay. But science literacy is not how much you can recite from your science book. Uh, that could be an aspect of it. But science literacy is how is your brain wired for thought, mm -hmm. okay? So mm -hmm. if someone says, I, I have these crystals and I rub them together, it cures your, your ailments. What is, how, how does your brain respond to that? Is it, oh, great, give me, I want, I have ailments, give me, give, okay? That's one way to respond. Another one would be, oh, this is all bullshit. No, just keep walking. By the way, each of those outcomes is equally intellectually lazy. Got it. What's harder is to probe what's being said. Oh, what are the crystals made of? Where they come from? What evidence is there that they work? What is the mechanism by which they work? Okay, you do all of that, then the person walks away because they don't have, in that case, they likely don't have answers to those questions. That's the science literacy. The, mm. the pathways of inquiry to connect you between where you are and the objective truth at the other end of that investigation. So, so, um, so, and anyhow, so our kids were scientifically literate by the time they were 12 or 13. And by the time I saw that, I said, I'm, I'm done. Okay. Whatever happens in their life, I don't care what I do. I do care, but I don't, I'm, I don't worry that they will be exploited by somebody who's taking advantage of their ignorance of how the natural world works. That, wow. That's not going to happen. Uh, it's, we've, we've had dinner parties where I went in middle school. We had someone over who said, oh, an adult who says, oh, um, you know, I've had a bad day. Uh, I think it, Mercury might be in retrograde. All right. Okay. And I forgot which of them. I think my daughter said, um, so what is it about the retrograde that you think is hard? <laughs> she start, just wow. starts asking questions. Right. Yeah. And I was like, yep, there you go. And I, I, just, how, I didn't have to get how into old was she at the time. How old was she at the time? I uh, might have been 13 or 12. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was a problem. Well, she did it politely. It was not yeah. rude or anything, but yeah, probing how grownups think. Is yeah, I mean, but that's that's when you get the really like. I think that's when your your proud dad and proud mom moments kick in. That's that, because I you see that conversations. Those yes. Yeah, yeah, conversations matter, and they're they're retaining the information that's being given to them. It's not just going in one ear and out the other. Well, it's not again. It's not just information. It's way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Right. Ways of thinking are much more potent than mm -hmm. simple knowledge. Mm -hmm. OK, so, for example, my physics, any one year that I'm in physics uh, in school, there's a physics textbook. You know, uh, how thick is it? You know, normal thickness of textbook. Such a book contains foundational understanding and awareness of how the universe works. Mm. You can take information from that book and launch rockets with it. OK. Mm -hmm. You can take information from that book and analyze global climate change because the laws of physics are, are few given the vastness of the universe. And once you're there at the ground level of how and why it all works, then your thoughts have no end of, of, of um, you're empowered with no end of inquiry about now I know how this works as something new. How does that work? Okay, so that's the difference between sort of knowledge and insight, I would say. 
I I love it, and I love the way I love the way that you're that you're thinking. Uh, not not that there's like not that there's a a wrong way to think, but I just like I like I like what you're talking about about with your kids, right? About just giving them another way to process, another way to think, another way to see, um, and and basically like um, identify. Right. Like it's 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 just cool when you're challenging the mind of others. And I think that's where you get that's where you get intrigued. That's where you get the the wherewithal to add some bandwidth and to yeah, go and out. It, and, it and allows you to nurture the curiosity that we all had as children. One thousand percent. There's an old saying that, you know, you spend the first couple of years teaching your kids to walk and talk. Then the rest of their lives telling them to shut up and sit down, right? <laughs> so the less you tell them to shut up and sit down, the more they will retain the curiosity that's native to them. Well, Neil, I'll tell you what, I tell my kids to shut up and sit down all the time. So I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I'm I'm definitely a product. How old your, of, kid? How old your kid? My kids are 18, 16, uh six. In three. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. But this still in, in the zone there. there. That's the full, full, full house, nigga. I've, I've been having some sex, Neil. That's <laughs> what I've been doing. Okay. I assume you have yeah. sex more than four times in your life. Yeah. Yes. Well, more, more than four, but on these four specifically, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> eight, eight ball in the corner pocket. Oh. That's gonna be a boy. <laughs> I'm gonna put the nine ball in the, the top pocket. That's a girl. Going <laughs> back to the corner. That's a boy. Bop. Same nine ball. That's another girl. You know that's you had that level of spermatic. Precision. That's where that's where my science comes in. <laughs> that's where my science comes in for sure. Uh, Neil, I'll tell you what, man. Like these are the episodes that I like because it's just talking and getting you know a world of m information. I, I refer to them as gems on this show that I that I don't have, but I get to walk away with a better understanding, man. And talking to you is always cool because. There's just so much shit that you know. And I like picking your brain apart. I love asking you the silliest questions to the serious questions and mixing it up. But I like that you always have an answer. Uh, and I think my listeners are going to walk away from this episode with some education, some education and understanding, right? Yeah. You're or probably gonna ask yourself, yeah. Well, just to be curious, you know, and by the way, uh, you know, how many people graduate from school, toss their books in the air, say, school's out. And I'm mm -hmm. bored. and then then you're stuck in whatever you had learned up to that moment because Lots. school was somehow something you didn't want to do. And Lots. so we got to change what happens. And I don't want to blame the people, the kids. I want the some the school has to do something different so that when you leave school, you're sad. You're sad. Oh, what I, I have to now not learn something until tomorrow, right? So uh, I want so to become a lifelong learner is to re reflect fondly on school, not just the social life, but on having learned and infusing that in your life as you proceed. 1,000%. Yeah. 1,000%. I love you, it. Can I, I know it's your show. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Absolutely. I follow, Please. You know, you, the comedy, stand-up, and, and, and people who do, I, I'm a huge fan of the genre. And I, okay. I have to know. Because I have, you know, I put on the radio when I'm driving, uh, a serious hazard is so does a few others, where they have comedy uh, grouped by decade, right? So 1990s, 2000s, mm -hmm. 2010s, and contemporary. Mm -hmm. So I go back to the 1990s and the 2000s. There are jokes 
untellable today. Mm -hmm. And back then, everybody was laughing. And so how do you deal with the shifting landscape under your feet? Because I've seen it. I've seen it happen just in things I post. I post something I think is funny. And at the time I first posted it's funny, I said, let me check this again. And I posted it five years later. Then people started complaining about it or say it was insensitive or whatever. I said, that's interesting to me. And I, I don't want to, I don't fight it because it just is, but I navigate it almost anthropologically. And then I ask myself, what are we all doing today that we're all laughing about that in 10 years, people say, how could you have possibly done that back in 2024? Right. And so it sensitized me to what are we doing today that no one is yet commenting on? So how do you deal with that as a professional? Well, I think the the best and most easiest way to deal with it is just to be aware, right? Like, you know, to not be aware and not be in tune with the current climate um, and temperature of the day is is a disadvantage uh-huh. because when you are, you're able to navigate around it accordingly. So, you know, it doesn't compromise your talent to simply make sure that you're navigating in the waters correctly. And, you know, the years of old are not the years of new, you know, you can watch Pryor and Murphy and Red Fox and you can watch Sam Kinison and Robin Harris. And, you know, there's some Bernie Mac stuff today. Oh my God. People would be blown away. Right. No way. Right. There's no way you can do that. But the genius of those comics, and Joan Rickles, uh, and, it's, and it's highlighted. You go because all the way back to get Don Rickles. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Right. Don Rickles. Absolutely. Like oh. you can, you, there's so much that, that is, that is considered to be great that today would be considered to be distasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that you look down on a ton of old because it's still highlighted. It's still legendary, but it's just the climate of today. So right. for me, I'm just always looking and always paying attention. You know what I mean? That's yeah, what I do. As am I just as an educator, because I want, I'm always looking for the most effective educational pathways and if I say something that people don't understand because the word is out of style or the word usage different, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. And I just want to be effective. That, that's my goal. I'm not trying to, to, to hold on to something that was once it and isn't any longer. That's not my goal here. But, but, but whatever are my challenges, they, they pale compared to people in your industry. That's all I'm saying. Yes, sir. They, they, they do it as something to be... Um, it's great that you said it. It's something to be aware of, but it it has no effect on me. Um, it hasn't. Like you know, you just gotta be. You you gotta show that you are a student of the craft by just being good at what you do. And when you gotta adjust, you adjust. Right. You know, making sure that you are respectful in a time where people are looking for it. Right. It's good. That's the easy part. Right. Um, being funny. Being funny is the, that's also the easy part. Um, finding your subject matter that fits you if you're talking about your life is the easy part right. so I stay in a lane where all I'm doing is you know discussing myself on the highest level uh-huh. and my trials my tribulations my household my adventures my disbeliefs my beliefs but it's all self oriented and it's self deprecation or self elevation but it's all centered around self uh-huh. um, that keeps me global and that keeps me in a conversation of me and uh, just one thing, I didn't get to tell you this uh, when we worked together on your on your uh, BET show, but in the upside, okay, 
uh, I saw that, I saw the original French, by the way, so I knew what I was in for when I saw the American remake. But uh, when I saw you in that role, I said, okay, he's going to be Kevin Hart, being Kevin Hart in this role. Mm-hmm. And after five minutes, I was like, no, he's not. He's yeah. an actor. <laughs> yeah. And he's, the, and I, and I was very, I'm just, not that I'm the measure of who should be impressed, but I went in there ready to see a, you being Kevin Hart, the comedic mm-hmm. actor. And you were Kevin Hart, the very serious actor who, were, who was conveying emotions in the moment that the, that the moments demanded. You have a quadriplegic in a wheelchair and are, can you be funny? Can you be sensitive? Can you be caring? All mm-hmm. of those emotions were there and I saw them and I said, damn, my boy here needs, needs one of these Academy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I can say, I can say like it's, it's, it is, it's, it's a dope thing to like have a plan and work towards the the plan and see the plan um, actually like blossoming into what you thought it would be. So from fatherhood, from um, the upside, from true story, I got a movie coming out called Lift. Um, these are all more serious leading man roles. Like not that there weren't leading man roles of comedy because they definitely were, but the you know, action comedy and just straight comedy. That's one tier and showing that I can do that at the highest level was one thing, but now tapping into the, the other side, the other, the other world of display. That's my, that's like my passion now. Right. And uh, Robin Williams did that. He was uh, a brilliant actor in many films, not just because, you know, you got to really suppress his stand up if you're going to put him in a serious acting role. Right. And then there was a, it's a whole other um, display of his abilities and talents. So I just had to, I just had to tell you that. Thank you, man. Well, Neil, I appreciate you genuinely. I genuinely appreciate you. Not just for saying the things that you said, but for taking the time, man, to do gold mines. Uh, because I feel like my listeners got exactly what I wanted to give them, which is some gold. I, I, Gems, I love the title baby. gold mines. That's a good, that's, that's a right. Title. Gold mines. That's all we do. <laughs> Tap into the minds that are amazing oh. on a regular. Uh, and today's show was no different. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what it is. It was about science. More importantly for me, it was about these goddamn aliens and where they are. Oh. Okay. Okay, That's Kevin, if I, if I come up with aliens, I'll, I'll bring them on your show first. How's Please, it? shoot me a text. <laughs> Just shoot me a text and say, got it. Yeah. That's all you got to say to me. Got it, Kev. Yeah. We, <laughs> we got one, Kev. And I'm like, ain't this a bitch? Neil, you got one? Yeah, we got one, Kev. You got that motherfucker. That's what I, that's that's what I want you to say, Neil. Shoot me a text and say, Kev, we got that motherfucker. Oh, that's that's what I'm gonna say. I'm coming over. I want to see it first. That's what I want to do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Gold Mines, and this is Neil deGrasse Tyson. And you know what it is, man? It's about amazing conversation, amazing dialogue with amazing information. Today's episode was no different. I hope you had an amazingly good time because I know I did. Guys, until the next time, you keep it gold. Oh, that's a new one, Neil. I just came up with that one. You keep it gold. Keep it gold. I love y'all. Or, or, or stay curious. Stay, oh, I'm stealing that, Neil. Do it. Stay curious. Stay curious, my friends. Neil, I appreciate you, man. This is great. All right, man. Good to see you again. You too.
Gold Mines with Kevin Hart is a serious XM and Laugh Out Loud radio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Wyel. Produced by Danny Sellers and Leslie Guam. And engineered by Danny Sellers. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 